Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. What is the biblical response to poverty, violence, and suffering in the world? How does the biblical commandment to love the neighbor differ from progressive ideas of social justice? In this week's episode, Richard and I explore St. Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and the way in which the Bible undermines human paradigms of right and wrong, good and evil, and victim and oppressor. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 31 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Richard and I have been talking a lot lately about the question of social justice. It raises questions for us about the difference between secular ideology and secular notions of justice, which everyone, irrespective of their tradition or their belief or their lack of belief, can sign on to. I mean, you know, you hear it all the time. People will say, well, I know what the Bible says. It says we're supposed to be nice to each other. So why do I need the Bible? What's the big deal? Why do I need to go and hear a sermon when I know what I should be doing? And I think of secular notions of justice, that's probably true. There's something different happening in the Bible, though. What's going on? Well, so the notion of social justice makes a lot of assumptions right off the bat. And one is the category of who is rich and who is poor, who is fortunate and who is unfortunate, who is blessed and who is a victim. It starts off with these basic categories. And when we come from a scriptural point of view, we always have to be suspect of these categories. We've talked in the past who is good, who is bad, who's a Jew, who's a Gentile, all these things. We know that the Bible disrupts these categories of people when we approach the Bible. And you hear this expression, you hear it in Deuteronomy, you hear it in Paul's letters, you hear it elsewhere. God shows no partiality. Men should therefore show no partiality. And I think it's easy for us in a Western judicial context to say that what that means is that you should be fair. But again, fairness is very much a concept that is at home within the framework of social justice ideology but it's not at home in the scriptural teaching. I mean, in order to say, when you look at a problem in the world, I mean, take ISIS, for example. We've heard a lot about the terrible genocide that's being committed in Iraq now that Saddam is no longer in place, the country is in chaos. And you hear about the terrible violence committed against minority communities. When Western journalism looks at what's happening in Iraq, it looks at it in very clear terms, in black and white terms good versus evil, oppressed versus the oppressor, and so forth. But scripture doesn't work that way. If you go back to the Older Testament, you have numerous examples where Israel is in a position of weakness, is being attacked by a foreign army. And not only does God not save you, but he tells you that I'm sending your enemy, and he says that your enemy is coming because, essentially, you deserve it. You brought it on yourself, 
and now I'm punishing you. Within the framework of social justice ideology, this would be classically referred to as blaming the victim. But scripture blames the victim often. In other words, what I'm saying is that this Pauline expression, which he takes from Deuteronomy, that God shows no partiality, is another way of saying God judges everyone. God is critical of everyone across the board. I mean, it's reflected again and again in the teaching. You know, another example that I usually will bring out is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount destroys the concepts of good and evil that we see, religious and non-religious. In chapter 5, when you pray, you're supposed to pray where no one can see you. When you fast, you're supposed to make yourself look like you're not fasting. So if you're praying and fasting and no one can tell, how does someone tell the difference between who is the correct Christian, according to chapter 5 of Matthew, and who is the non-believer? And this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which we talked about on Sunday, in the opening part of the chapter, Paul says that he doesn't answer to human beings, and so therefore gives no regard to the judgment of human beings. Because when the human master or the victim, whoever it happens to be, the actor, when they look at the world, when they look at Iraq, they, on the basis of what they can see, make judgments about who is right, who is wrong, what is actually happening. And then, as they do in every war, someone does a post on Facebook about how babies are being killed. It inflames emotions, and then people are even more emboldened in their judgment. When, in fact, they're looking at it from a human vantage point, they are not in a position to judge. Scripture is in a position to judge, and Scripture puts pressure on the victim in Iraq as much as the oppressor. In chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, it's very interesting the way that Paul undermines the victim mentality that the social justice movement tends to lift up. If something happens in the world today, the journalist will look at that and will inflame even without intending to or without realizing it because they feel so justified and so righteous in their judgment will inflame people's anger against the one that they judge to be the oppressor and at the same time will coddle and protect the victim. Now, if you coddle and protect the victim, for example, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you've got a huge problem because both sides consider themselves victims. Now, we understand that at different points in history, there have been significant material differences in the level of victimhood. Right now, Israel has the upper hand, but the Jewish people did not have the upper hand with the Nazis. And at one point, the Germans would have been the butt of the joke in Western Europe, which is what produced the socialist movement under Hitler in the first place, a desire to fight back because you felt as though you were the victim. Right? So you have this cycle of the victim becoming the oppressor and then the oppressor being put down, the oppressor reasserting themselves, and it goes on and on right. and on. It goes nowhere. And the interesting thing is that Paul says, you judge me, and I consider this a small thing because I don't even judge myself. I don't think I did anything wrong. I don't think I'm guilty. But that doesn't mean I'm not guilty. It means I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to do the best I can. At preaching the gospel. At preaching the gospel, exactly. And bearing witness to the gospel. Now, Paul is judged by the world in chapter 4. He disregards it. He doesn't count it as a credit to him that he's judged. But he doesn't count it against himself that he's judged. Like Jesus before Pontius Pilate, he doesn't answer to Pontius Pilate. But here's the interesting thing for this discussion. He later in chapter 4 goes through all the different ways in which he, as an apostle, 
is suffering at the hands of men. He does so ultimately not to shame his addressees, though that is a necessary step towards their education. He shames them, as he says later on, not for the sake of shame, but for a purpose to instruct them. But he does not mention how he's persecuted because he considers himself a victim. Because for Paul, everything is from the hand of the Lord. Everything is justice. Everything is what God wants. You accept it. I mean, the breakdown of the categories is just essential here because he says, don't go passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and to close the motives of men's hearts. So the thing is, you can't judge because you don't know the whole story. And you can't say, poor Paul. You can't say, nasty Paul. You can't tell. You don't get to say because you just don't know. You don't know who's praying in the closet or who's just not praying. You don't know the difference. You don't know the whole story. And this is what Paul is trying to get across. You don't know the story. You don't know what's going on. You're functioning according to these categories that make the assumption that you know good and evil and that you know the hearts of human beings. You can't know. Now, this completely breaks down the way we function because you could say, are you saying then that we can't say that ISIS is evil? This is what it's saying. It's not saying it's evil. He's saying you can't tell. This completely undermines the way that we function. Well, we know that there is evil in the world. We know there are evil people in the world. We know there are evil actions in the world. Do we? Because this is what Paul is breaking down. He's saying you don't know. All you know is the bread that is being fed to you through the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's what you know. And you know that that bread is written. And you know that you have a commission, in his case as an apostle, to share that bread with as many people as possible. The value of that bread is not linked to the value of Paul. The bread has a value, a life-giving value in and of itself. His job is to raise, to share it with as many people as possible, and then to stand with those with whom he shared it on the day of judgment when everyone will answer to the Lord who will measure their deeds in life. But again, the key is that Paul won't judge to the extent that he won't even count himself a victim or a martyr for his suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's very powerful. Now, you can make the logical leap that if Paul is saying, imitate my acceptance that everything is the judgment of the Lord and that neither my successes nor my failures are a credit to me or detract from me. It's all in the hand of the Lord. You have only to strive, to share, and to live the gospel and to be judged by the Lord on the last day. If you accept that, the victim mentality breaks down. I think that Paul is applying the prophetic teaching to his own apostleship. If I'm being persecuted, as Israel was being persecuted in the Older Testament, it may be because I did something wrong. It may be simply because I'm preaching the gospel. I don't know. All I know is that God is putting me in this position of weakness according to his purpose, and we'll learn in his time what it means. Now, at the same time, The fact that I happen to be suffering and you, the person sitting in the pew in church, is going to go home and have a nice meal in an air-conditioned home and then watch the football game. The fact that this chasm exists doesn't make me better than you, but it does give me the opportunity to shame you the way God would shame Egypt or shame Babylon. So that just as I am brought under the judgment of the teaching, so shall you be. Right? It has a didactic function. Mm -hmm. But it's not a justifying function. Well, because the natural human being coming from the secular notion of social justice is going to say, well, this person is a victim. Oh, look, there's this poor person who is hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, 
toil, work with their own hands, reviled, persecuted. This poor person, who did this to them? Let's go get them. Let's go make that person who did that, let's go make them change. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Your job is not to go and change the oppressor. You are the man, oh David, <laughs> if I may jump in and say so, right? You want to find out who's doing this to me. You're the one who's doing this to me. I mean, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it's implied in the shaming. If you want to respond to the suffering of your father in the gospel, respond by ceasing and desisting at your judgments that you are leveling on the world. You are making a judgment when you assume that you are living comfortably and you're having a full life because you are filled with the Spirit and you understand the gospel. This is a profoundly arrogant assumption. Maybe the person who's been fattening you is Satan himself. Well, here's the question that arises with me, and this is a very difficult thing to say. The Christians who are suffering terribly in Iraq, and we say, how could they? How could they do this? How can we allow this to happen that they would remain victims? How can we allow them to suffer like this? Paul says, as apostles, we have taken this on so that we can show you what it is to be Christian. We don't recognize the human categories of victim and oppressor because we allow this to happen to ourselves. When they persecute us, we bless them. We don't try to get them to stop. Mm -hmm. We allow this to happen. We allow ourselves to be hungry. Paul says elsewhere, I could ask you for money. I, I deserve money from you, but I'm not going to ask money from you. I'm going to allow myself to be poor. Now, here's the thing that human being does. The human being says, look, we have these people and they're suffering and it's horrible what's happening to them. Here we are, safe, comfortable Christians in the United States. If only they could be safe, comfortable Christians in Iraq, then everything would be good. Paul is going to turn this on his head. And he says, no, 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 oh, you American Christians. You should be imitators of me. What would happen if the Christian who condemns the oppressor of the Christian in Iraq, instead of condemning that oppressor, because he doesn't know, you can't judge another person before the time, only God can judge, your job is actually to say, maybe you don't know what it is to be a victim and what it is to be an oppressor, and maybe you basically don't understand what it is to be a Christian. Why would you not join them in their suffering? Why wouldn't you? Why are you sitting here? Why are you sitting here? Why aren't you joining them in their, their suffering? Because here's the question. You consider yourself blessed and those people poor, victims. You consider yourselves in good shape and them in bad shape. How do you know that they're not the ones in good shape and you're the one in bad shape? How do you know that that's not the case? The reason why you don't know that that's the case is because you're using a human, worldly understanding of what it is to be a Christian. This is, why, this is why Paul has to be made a spectacle to human beings and to angels so they can see that he is a fool. In the theatron, which is very beautiful. Yeah, the theatron, yeah, exactly. In the Roman theater, which our theater, the American theater, is Fox News and CNN. And it's the angels, even, who are watching this show. Because <laughs> exactly. they don't even... Because this is something that doesn't happen. This is yeah. this is the reality TV show. The reality TV show is like, can you believe a human being would do something as crazy as that? That's Paul. Now, I have to say, and I mentioned this on Sunday when we had the discussion about the race riots that are taking place in Ferguson. If you look at the history of civil rights in the United States and the social justice movement, there was one bright shining exception when, when the civil rights movement did not function on an ideological basis, but functioned on a scriptural basis. And what Martin Luther King Jr. did is he did not say, as the Black Panther said, and as the Black Power Movement said, and as the majority of civil rights activists today would say, that there was a victim and an oppressor. He said, the white person is your brother or sister, 
and you have to love them. And in loving them, they may convert and see that you too are a human being, and then we can live together in fellowship. There was no vitriol about the problem with white people or the problem with white power. You and I know that there is a problem with white power. There's profound arrogance and abuse institutionally that still takes place in this country. But that is not the approach that Dr. King took. He took the approach of the Apostle Paul and said, I, I don't know. I, I know only that I have to love them. And so the way I'm going to deal with the grievances that are being brought before me in my community is to say, look, the only way to overcome any of this is by love. And you have to trust that if you love the way God asked you to love, that the outcome will be what God wants it to be. It's a totally different approach. It's a powerless approach. This is precisely the problem of the prosperity gospel, because prosperity gospel uses the categories of rich and poor as blessed and unblessed and draws an equivalent. It's completely worldly. Paul responds to that. He says, look to you prosperity gospel people or to you self-righteous liberals who look at the world in categories of good versus evil, oppressor and oppressed, or to you self-righteous conservatives who look at the world as those who earned what they have and those who are lazy. I mean, there's a million ways you could spin this. It's all the same lie that human beings can justly differentiate types of people qualitatively or quantitatively. Paul says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, For who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If the whole Bible were to revolve around one verse, it would be verse 7 of chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians. What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, meaning if everything is gift, why do you boast? as if it were not a gift. And what's striking about 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is that this unthankfulness, this ungratefulness of the human being, this false assumption that you deserve anything is linked to the victim mentality, it's linked to the oppressor mentality, it is linked to self-righteousness and the way that human beings judge one another and act out of arrogance. It all goes back to the fundamental teaching of the Bible, the heartbeat of Paul's teaching, that everything is according to grace. Everything is grace. So why would you be upset if what you didn't earn was taken away from you? You didn't earn anything. Nothing is from you. You received everything. So if that's the case, if an oppressor is taking something away from you, why would you cry as though you're being victimized? Why wouldn't you say instead, like Paul, all things are for the glory of God? Since God is the one taking away whatever it is I was originally gifted with, he must be doing it for a reason. So I'm going to assume either that it's a judgment against me, but who knows, I'll find out. But anyways, he did it, so let me use it to teach you. But I'm not a victim. Teaching. And you're not better off than me. And the teaching is, like you were mentioning before, Jesus standing before Pilate. I don't recognize your judgment. You give me your freedom. You give me your money. You give me your gifts. But these are human worldly gifts. Correct. Those come and go as the Lord sees fit. So I have it for now. I don't have it later. It doesn't matter. Because Paul says the one who values wealth, the one who values the gifts that have been given him, are not going to have an easy time making themselves like Paul. You know, people say, oh, you know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So we don't have to give away all our money. Well, if you don't love money, then give it away. Why would you care? God is telling man 
you can't judge. You can't judge the rich man. You can't judge the poor man. You can't judge the oppressed. You can't judge the oppressor. But his teaching judges, and his teaching shows no partiality. It judges clear across the board, which is why Paul can preach with impunity the gospel he received from God, because it puts everyone down, both rich and poor. It puts everyone down, the addressee and the apostle. And it's a universal put down, whether you're a victim or an oppressor, if you come to hear someone explain Paul's letter, you will be put down. And that put down is just a fact of the text. So when the preacher is putting down the entire assembly, he is irrelevant in that process because anyone who stands up who's faithful to the reading is going to end up putting everyone down. If you're hesitating to put everyone down, it's because you've put on your social justice cap and you really want to say that some parishioners aren't as bad as other parishioners. Well, that's a human opinion, and you're exercising judgment before the time. Very interesting, very difficult teaching, but I think essential. Thanks very much for your time this week, Dr. Bell. Thank you very much, Father. Take care. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.